0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. I don't know if you noticed when you drove in today. Uh, For those of you online, you certainly didn't notice, but there is still on the premises. Hey, man, that's a long time coming. Give this place a facelift, man. Let the community know what's going on on the inside. Did a wedding this weekend, and it was an awesome wedding. Got to take the family out to a... A nice formal dinner, which is only at weddings for us. <laughs> and uh, anyway, people ask me all the time, "Man, where where is your church?" And I tell them, and they just have a confused look on their face. And I can't wait to say, "It's the church with the giant lit up cross." Amen. That's going to be fun uh, to be able to say this August. We're going to have a big party. Um, we'll be in the stages of planning that. And so it's exciting times at OPCC. Welcome those of you online if it's your first time, and those of you here today if it's your first time as well. Happy Memorial Day. Want to especially recognize those people who have given all that we might be able to freely worship in this place. And I want to recognize those of you today who may have served. We got any people who've served? I know we got one. Come on, you guys, get up, man. Get up! and Yeah, man! Thank you for your service. I bless you guys. Thank you. want to remember your fallen brothers and sisters and their families this weekend. It's always a special time for us as a nation to, to do that and thank them uh, for their sacrifice and those families and our, our guys who are still with us as well. You know, compromise, we're, we're in the revelation for those of you who haven't been with us for a few weeks, and we're going through these letters until we get uh, to chapter 4, which I'm really looking forward to, um, but uh, we're talking about apocalypse, man. You, you may <clears throat> look at that and go, whoa, man, it's going to be heavy today. But really, it's good news. The apocalypse is, is an op- optimistic me- uh, vision that God gives to a prophet of how things are going to work out in the event or the end times, and how he's going to uh, intervene in human history to restore all things back to the place from which they have fallen. And because they have fallen, we've got this interesting word (laughs) that is only necessary because the world has fallen, and it's the word compromise, all right? So compromise is is an interesting concept, because compromise um, is, is easy and it's hard. So it's it's easy to compromise when you're trying to do, uh, you know that there's something that, that, that needs to be done in the right way or morally, uh, especially as a believer and the, what the word teaches, but then you're like, man, you got this thing you're looking at over here, and you're like, well, I know, but, you know, surely the Lord would overlook this. Like, he loves me. I'm forgiven, Right? So it's easy to compromise right there, and we have to fight that, and and it's a a temptation that's strong that pulls us. But then our wife wants us to go do something that we don't want to do, and compromise is like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, do we have to go do that? Like, I really don't like that or something else. You you get my point. Sometimes compromise, we just stand against it and will not want to have anything to do with it. And then sometimes we kind of want to. What is going on there? It's us in the middle of it. It's what we want. And so that we face this enemy who's constantly like, he's he's tempting us around that weakness that exists in our flesh and trying to get us to compromise on our convictions of what the Lord has called us to walk out in obedience. And if we're honest, as followers of Jesus, we really struggle here. We really struggle with compromising Um, on simple things like, oh, I just, you know, I I really don't want to go to church today. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's Memorial weekend. You know, nobody's going to be at church. God bless you for those of you who didn't compromise, by the way. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But we have simple things like that, and we have obviously more difficult things. And and we struggle with it. And so as Christ followers, um, sometimes we're tempted to think things like, um, if only I could have lived around the time of Christ things would have been easier. The world was simpler, and Jesus, you know, was there, and even the apostles, after Jesus died, they had this tremendous power and authority that they walked in, and they taught the church, and there were miraculous events happening in the church that I read about. Man, it'll just been an exciting time, and so we think that, but when we look back in time and we read these letters, we find something very different, and today our letter comes to the church in Pergamum. And so the church in Pergamum was one of the seven, and it was located in a wealthy city. And these cities are going to be very similar as we look at them, because they're close proximity, you know? Um, And so like, we're not going out of a a long ways away from one of them. But this was a very wealthy city. It was built on a hill about 1,000 feet above the surrounding countryside, and it created a natural fortress um, within, and so they were protected. And it was known, Pergamum was known for manufacturing paper from animal skins. Like they developed that. I think it was called velum. And you have to think about how important that would be. That is the equivalent of the internet today. You go from um, nothing to write on to something they could write on. And so they were known for that. Not only were they known for that, they were the Google of the day because they had one of the second largest libraries in the world. So maybe they were the Yahoo of the day, not the Google. (laughs) And they had over 200,000 volumes in this library. And so people would go to this city uh, for information. It was readily available. And the city, it had a chief god who was Asclepius, and Asclepios was symbolized by the snake, and he was the God of healing. And so when people would have sickness and they couldn't get healed, and doctors of the day, the medicine as primitive as it was, couldn't help them, they would go to Pergamum and they would go to seek out and make sacrifices to the snake God that they might be healed. and they would go to these desperate measures and do these crazy things sometimes in order to make these sacrifices so they could they could find a healing for their body. And it was, um, it was like the other cities, it was epitomized for its persecution of Christians. And why is that the case? Well, one, because we have emperor worship going on in all of these cities, and the uh, emperor had declared that he was a god, and so you had to worship him. Once a year, you had to burn that pinch of incense and declare that Caesar is Lord. And you had uh, all of these other crazy pagan religions and these gods that existed, um, that humans had created, and people were worshiping them. And so here comes the Christians. All of a sudden, after Jesus's resurrection, they said, no, all that stuff is false. We're not worshiping the emperor. We're not worshiping the snake god. We're not worshiping any of these other gods. We're not, we're not worshiping Aphrodite. And you can read about these things in the book of Acts when they were standing against these things. Man, it um, like Paul comes in and he starts talking about Jesus as God in the flesh and preaching these sermons and people start getting saved and they start burning all these idols and the city made money. The city of Ephesus made money off of those idols so it was impacting their economy and when it hit their pocketbooks, man, the guys who were uh, in charge of, of the guild that um, were the craftsmen behind f- uh, creating those idols... You read about that, there's this big riot and, and they were beaten and they suffered persecution because of what they stood for. And so um, the persecution was certainly uh, the norm of the day. And so Rome had given this city um, the rare power of capital punishment. So most cities couldn't do that, They had to. Rome had to be the one that executed that judgment. But Pergamum had that authority. And it was symbolized by the double-edged sword that was uh, a symbol of taking life. And so, like, when we think about, oh, it would have been easier to live then. Not so. Not so, right? Like, it was tough on the church. And so we might look at that and go, well, why did God allow it to be so hard? And why even does God still allow us to go through trials and difficulties um, today? It is because, man, whenever we go through these times of suffering one, the scripture says we're, more, we're never more like Christ than when we share in his sufferings. And as the church is, is persecuted, man, what happens, it's like the crushing of grapes. you pressing in on them. New wine is created. And the church, man, the more it's persecuted, the more it flourishes. And, and it is upon the, uh, the blood of the martyrs that the church was built. And so as they would persecute these early Christians and they would not compromise in their faith, man, they, they the, the church just kept moving. And so like we're encouraged by that, but they did struggle with compromise and it did have to be addressed. And we learn that as we look at this, all of this is the backdrop of Jesus writes this letter, or he doesn't write this letter, he reveals it to John on the island of Patmos, and John writes it in the book of Revelation, and it is for this church specifically about what's going on in their time. But it is also for every church and every time, so it's for us today. And it's a message about compromise, and I want you to hear it, and I'll share some, um, some, some points with you that I think will be helpful to you to how do you deal with this thing called compromise. And he says... Revelation 2 verse 12 To the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. And so so like like Jesus is even though they had that symbol in Pergamum and of the of the double-edged sword, Jesus is saying he's reminding them in that vision that John had, remember, he had a sharp double-edged sword in his mouth. And he says, here's the words of the one who really owns the sharp, double-edged sword. And I'm reminded of when Jesus says, don't fear those who are able to kill the body. You need to be concerned about the one who has the power over the soul. And he's saying, I've got the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. Now, I just stopped this week, and I thought, man, that is good right there. I know where you live, he says. And it's good when somebody knows where you live. If you know somewhere where someone lives and you're talking to somebody and they tell you about a neighbor or something, you go, oh, yeah, I know where they live. Then you feel connected to them. And if you've been in their house, you really feel connected with them, right? And if they have any kind of reputation or fame, then you really feel special. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know where they live. I've been in their house. And Jesus is saying to us today, I know where you live. And some of us are going, oh, Jesus! <laughs> I wish he didn't know that. But he does. He knows what, how, how dirty it is right now, too. Okay, but it's all right. Because he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. And so this guy, we'll talk about him here in a minute, but this guy died um, because he wouldn't compromise for his faith. He wouldn't wouldn't give in. He says, I know about that guy. I know where you live. I know how hard it is. I know Satan has a stronghold on your city that you live in. And he says, uh, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And so like Jesus always started with a word of encouragement, And he's like, you need to look at these things, guys. Now, when Jesus does that, and even as he points this out for us today as a body, he's not beating us up. He's trying to lift us up. He's trying to help us see some things to where we're getting manipulated, and that's what he's helping this church to see. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, it's important to note that when Jesus says, I will soon come to you, he's not talking about his second coming here. He's talking about he will come in an immediate context in the power of the Holy Spirit and he will cast judgment upon what this church was doing at that particular time. And so the takeaway for us would be, he will soon come to us if we're acting the same way that these people are and judgment will fall on our lives and he's teaching us a truth that we need to be aware of. And he says, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So there's a lot in here. I'm going to give you just a few things. Um, And again, hopefully, uh, they are encouraging to you. But they're really, how do we deal with compromise? That temptation sometimes that we have to compromise and then sometimes when we don't want to compromise, just controlling that flesh and how the enemy will manipulate us and use all of the forces of the outside world and this fallen creation that we live in, our fallen flesh as well, to kind of cater to our weaknesses. How do we deal with that? Well, first of all, we need to understand that A and B are the only options. Those are the only options when it comes to compromise. There are two people mentioned by name, Antipas and Balaam. So that's where I'm coming up with A and B. It is the way of Antipas or the way of Balaam. And the only two things that we know about Antipas is his name means against all. And so, like, that's what the character of his life was about and what his name meant, against all. And the second thing we know about him is that he died because he would not compromise. And so, Jesus is saying, I know about that guy. Now, Uh, Tertullian, one of our early church fathers, later after the the canon of scripture was um, closed, he writes about um, Antipas, and he says that he was boiled alive in oil. You sure it's better to live back then than now, right? Now, being now, just stop and think about that. Like that is a very like when you are boiled alive, you don't die immediately. You die pretty quick, but not instant. There's some uh, stories online about people who have ventured off of the boardwalk at Yellowstone. I know, Sean, you and Sophie are talking about going to Yellowstone, and some of the people have ventured off, going to go, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, hot, 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 what? Well, I can't hear, so I don't know what you said. <laughs> but they call it hot, hot, hot. There was a term for it. Anyway, they're going to try to get in it and take a hot bath, right? with their friends, but they've gotten in pools that are too hot, man, and some of those pools, Sean, have acid in them, okay, so don't get off the boardwalk, all right, you stay stay on the boardwalk, and if your kids are over there, make them, make sure that they stay on the boardwalk, because these stories are awful, man, um, they, I'm not going to go into them, they're bad, all right, you can read about them, and, and they, people don't survive. One guy, I will tell you this, just, just, just to illustrate how long it takes to die. Um, one guy, his friend got out of a car. I think this was in the 80s. He and his friend got out of the car, and his friend's dog ran and out of the car, jumped in one of these pools, and couldn't make it back and without thinking, this guy starts running to get the dog, and people try to stop him. He, he takes a couple of steps in, dives head first, turns around, is able to make it back out, and later dies uh, of his wounds. They said his skin was literally falling off of him yeah (laughs) right (laughs) so be encouraged today Uh, (laughs) so the point is man this guy antipas they were trying to get him to say that he did not believe that jesus was god in the flesh and that there were other gods and that he would recant his faith and they lowered him down in boiling oil and he would not die or he would not deny the lord and that's how strong his conviction was to the things of the kingdom and to Christ as his Messiah. And so when I say uh, A and B are the only two options, the Lord is reminding the church about Antipas and saying, man, this is the way you need to be. You need to be this strong in your convictions, even if it means death. As a matter of fact, it often will mean death, especially when it comes to compromise. You have to die to yourself in that moment and not compromise in order that you can remain true to the convictions of the kingdom. And so he stood against all. But Balaam, on the other hand, is a guy from the Old Testament who was a prophet who was all about Prophesying, his story is found in the book of Numbers. You can read about him. One of the funniest stories about him is Balaam and his donkey, Um, and and it's just like it's a really funny story. But what happens is there's a guy by the name of Balak, and Balak is not um, he's not an Israelite. He knows of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and growing into this incredible nation, and he knows that Balaam is a prophet of God that has been used um, to prophesy things that have happened. And and curses have fallen on people, or blessings have fallen on people, the people of God because of it. And even curses on nations because God would show him what, what was going to happen and he would foretell it before it happened. And so Balak goes to Balaam and he tries to entice him to prophesy against the Israelites, his own people. And Balaam is like, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, I can only prophesy what the Lord says for me to prophesy. And so he says no, and then he says, well, let me go to the Lord about it, which is ridiculous. There's compromising starting right there. When a guy asks you to compromise something that you know the Lord is not going to let you do, and you say, well, let me pray about it, you've already started down the road of compromise. There's some things you don't need to pray about. There's some things you just know. And that's why I say A and B are the only options. And when you know, you don't take it to the Lord in in prayer about, hey, Lord, I don't know if I should do this. You say, Lord, I know I shouldn't do this. Help me not to succumb to my weakness. That's what the Lord is trying to say. Help me be like Antipas. Help me choose the way of the A right now, not the way of Balaam, right? And so like when he says that, um, about Balaam. He goes to him, and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And then he goes to him a second time, and he says, don't you realize, Balaam says, don't you realize how I can bless you? Like, I've got cash, bro. And man, Balaam's starting to think about it now. And so he never does prophesy a curse upon the Israelites, but what he does do is he figures a way around it. He says, I can only prophesy what the Lord tells me to say, but he tells him, if you will get the men of Israel to intermarry with the people of your people, like the Lord will not be able to bless them because he says not to do that. Then he teaches the people and kind of encourages them, them that it's not that big a deal. This is not really what God meant when he said, don't intermarry. Okay. It sounds like a lot of what's happening today in some churches, right? There's a compromise going on, and so what he did is he taught them falsely, not from the truth of the word, but he taught them what he wanted them to hear because that's what was acceptable to him in that moment and advantageous to him, and, and so like the intermarriage led to immorality, and some might say, well, why would God forbid intermarriages between different people groups? It had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with religion, and God still prevents that. And so God would say to us, don't be unequally yoked as believers, like as a believer should yoke with another believer. Why would God say that? It's not prejudice, it's wisdom. If you marry someone who doesn't believe like you, it's going to be very difficult to follow the Lord wholeheartedly, not impossible. And the Lord doesn't tell us to leave people. He says, actually, if we're in a relationship like that, pray for them and, and hope that they will come to a place of salvation in their own lives. But he knows it's more difficult for us. And it's, it's an easier road to walk in life if we're equally yoked. And so this is what Balaam was encouraging the people and Balak, they had come up with this plan, and they were encouraging the Israelites to do this, and they did it, and it cost them dearly. And so this church was doing the same thing in Pergamum. They were blurring the lines of Christianity with the ways of the world, and they were compromising. And so the Lord comes, and he says to them, and he uses Antipas and Balaam to reveal two lifestyles, A and B, and those are always the only lifestyles that we face. So when we're looking at decisions in life, and um, the world wants to tell you this is a gray area, it's there are things that like that that is just not the case. When it comes to things that are the Lord is concerned about, there's always A and B, and we can always find an answer. And as long as we seek out the Lord and His wisdom and the truth of His word, not what some pastor thinks, not what some people think, not what the experts say, and not what you feel in your heart, because all of those will lie to you right? Because our feelings will betray us. And that's why we use the word as an objective standard of reality that's outside of ourselves, that is older, that it was around before we got here, and it'll be here after we're gone, to go and root ourselves in it and let it speak to us about how we're supposed to live our lives. And we will find that there's always an A or a B, and our job is to stand with Christ as Antipas did against all and not compromise and look for ways to get around the word. That's so very important, as we will be tempted to go, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, if, if God didn't really want me to be with this person in this relationship, he certainly wouldn't make me love them the way that I love them. Well, maybe the way that you love them isn't the way that you really should be in love with a person and you don't really understand love the way that you're supposed to. You say, well, how would you know that? Because I've found myself in that position before. I thought I knew what love was and thank the Lord he protected me. And now I actually know what love is as I've celebrated 25 years of marriage this year with my bride. And I thank the Lord for him protecting me in the past. And so sometimes our emotions will confuse us and to cause us to compromise in areas that we should not be compromising in. And so we always want to be the kind of people who are not looking for ways to get around the word, but looking for, the wor- looking for ways for the word to get into us. That's how you, you keep from compromising. And so, like, we look at that, and and Jesus talks about these lifestyles, but he he not only talks about them, he says both have benefits. Both A and B have benefits. And I think this is important for us to understand. We kid ourselves if we say that compromise doesn't have benefits. You remember growing up, often my mom would tell me, oh, well, um, you know, that's not really fun if you do that. Kids that go out, and they're drinking and stuff, or they get involved in drugs, they're not really having fun, Jimmy. <laughs> Mom, I think you're confused. They are having fun. If you weren't having fun, you wouldn't do it. What is happening is it's a it's it's a um, it's I uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for. It's a fabrication of it. It is fun, but it's not meaningful, and it is not really the like it's not what we're designed to experience. Is to get involved in all of these things. Um, that rebel against the Lord. And we never do experience the full, um, the full benefits of the kingdom. And so we have to understand that when we compromise, there are benefits. And so when you look at things and you have to walk through compromise and you have to say no to something because you don't want to compromise your convictions, you have to understand that you are saying no to something that you really would enjoy. So like if there's, if there's a business deal on the table and you can close the deal, but you have to compromise morally in order to do it, and you know that you're doing something that your faith would not allow you to do, and let's say there's a, uh, you know, $25,000 worth of income on the table there, it's going to cost you to maintain your convictions. How much is it going to cost you? $25,000, Right. And so there are benefits that you have to leave on the table, but you have to believe that the benefits of the kingdom are going to be much more valuable than the $25,000 I'm going to leave on the table. And I even believe that the Lord will bless your income even mightier if you will make the right kind of decisions and not compromise, because who he was faithful at little will be faithful in much, and he knows he can trust you in those things. And so we have to look at that and go, man, there are benefits. You say, well, how is Jesus talking about benefits in this? I don't see him talking about the benefits of compromise. Well, these pagan temples had these festivals that went on, and they would have an incredible spread of food, okay? So last night, we got to go to this wedding, and they had all this nice food. You had to choose what you ate, and every, everything was free, right? Not like my girl's wedding, <laughs> so no I'm teasing and so uh maybe I'm not and so (laughs) and so there's incredible spread of food and everything and like but there was only a certain number of guests that were invited and the only people that could come and partake of all that was available at that wedding were people who had an invitation and so these festivals that they would have you had to be invited to the festival and the festival would have all this incredible food, all, all, of, the, and I mean, all of the alcohol that you could drink. I mean, you, people would just drink and drink and drink and drink. It was all free. And so to get to go to one of these was a huge deal. And the only way you could go is if you had a stone with the right inscription on it and you had this stone in your pocket, and you showed it, and they would let you in. Not only was there all of this food and all of this um, uh, drink, there there was even, like, sexual things that would go on in practices in these festivals. And so, man, in that that culture, in that day and time, man, it was the in thing. You wanted to be there. And it's cool to be in an in crowd. Um, a few years ago, we... Uh, we had tickets to the playoffs. Oklahoma City Thunder were in the playoffs. It been a few years since they've been um, because of compromise. <laughs> <laughs> so we, me and the boys, uh, and I think Caitlin, we, we had tickets to the playoffs. One of my friends blessed us with some tickets. Good seats, man. And we were there for the Western Conference semifinals against the Golden State Warriors and it was, man, that place was sold out, and people were going crazy, and we were right up there in the middle of it, and we were posting stuff on Facebook, and we were basically saying, look, we're here, and you're not. Nah. (laughs) Why? Because we had tickets. We had tickets, man, and then they lost, and Kevin Durant compromised and went to Golden State. No Oklahoma City Thunder are terrible now, but we have we have picks, bunch of picks, lots of picks, and so that that man that that was a that was a cool feeling to be on the end crowd there, and that's what these people were dealing with, is that in the, in the culture, man, people were going to these things, and so it was happening in the church. And so Jesus says, I know you live in the midst of where Satan has his throne and all these festivals are going on and all of the people, there's an in crowd and they're giving these stones out and everything. And he says, but if you will follow me, I too will give you a stone with a new name written on it. And there will be hidden manna which is spiritual sustenance that will be revealed to you and that will satisfy your soul. And so that's why we say sometimes that's not really fun to engage in those things. It really is fun to engage in those things, but those things cannot provide for you what the hidden manna can provide for you. Once you receive a white stone with your name written on it, then only you know the transformation that has taken place in your heart and the joy flood your soul. It's kind of like what Sean was talking about in worship today, man. It's like, I'm just overwhelmed by the joy of the Lord. I've had those experiences happen to me, and it's amazing. Uh, This morning, before church, I was spending a little time in my study and prayer, and I just kind of started to weep, man, because I felt like the whole weekend the Lord has been washing my feet Like he, he what do you mean he's been washing your feet? I got a picture of Jesus washing a pastor's feet feet in my office and he's just there there weeping. And and like, if you walk in ministry and the Lord uses you in ministry and he does things and people grow because of um, your commitment to the kingdom, it's humbling, man. And you know, you know, when you see them grow, you had nothing to do with that other than you just believed in the Lord and you stayed true, and that hidden manna starts to come into you. And so when you invest in people, man, the joy of the Lord, He will wash your feet. And like I just sat there in my office and thinking about getting to come up here and and minister to you guys from the Word and and the staff that is here helping to advance the kingdom, my incredible uh, wife and beautiful family, being used in in this wedding this weekend, man i will i, I I'll just tell you a little bit about the experience so you can get inside of my heart is I, what i did with this couple was the first time ever i instead of doing regular premarital counsel counseling i just discipled them and it was the most powerful experience and then i'm sitting at the reception and the family's giving speeches and they're talking about how the lord is moving in their lives and i was i was just blown away and i could hear um, like their friends were talking about them, about how they could see the Lord at the center of their lives, and it was inspiring to them. And so when I said the Lord is washing my feet, I, I was like, man, like, like that's hidden manna that I'm feasting on. And that's something that the world knows nothing about is to be used in such a powerful way that you know you don't deserve it, you just desire it, and the Lord chooses to use you in all of your weakness and foolishness to advance his kingdom. And he He opens it up to you, and it's it's an incredible experience. And so the Lord is contrasting all the benefits of what it can be to be in the in crowd, and he's saying, you are in my kingdom. And he's like, this is what you get. You get the hidden manna. You get a new, new name, a white stone with a new name, which equals transformation that only you understand what that means. So it's your individual transformation for your life. And it's an incredible experience. But here's where it gets really interesting. Is both A and B have consequences. And so as we look at the consequences, A means that the word works for you. And that's good, man. Like you, you get in the word and you, you, you dig out a nugget of truth and you're like, I, I see something here that I've never seen before. And you start trying to walk it out and believe it and it, it calls you into obedience. And then the kingdom starts working in your life. It's like the gears start turning. and like the, so, so the way of Antipas, standing with Christ against all means the word just starts working in your life. And the way of Balaam means the word starts working against you. You see, the word is always working, and it's either working for you or it's working against you. And that's what the consequences of A and B are in this text. It is a double-edged sword that is described, and it is used seven times in the Bible, and here it is used to describe the word of God. The double edge is life or death. You're either going to have life or death. What do you mean double-edged? Well, it protects the one swinging either way, and it takes life away from the other one, okay? So the one holding the word as the sword experiences life. So it's freedom or bondage. It either cuts away the chains that bind the sinner or condemns the one who rejects its message of grace. So that's what the word is doing. In some people's lives, it's cutting away chains and letting freedom roll out of their lives and then anybody who's not choosing the way of the Lord, it's, it's, cutting, it's, like, it's, it's locking them up in judgment and bondage and restricting them to really a self-made prison. And so Jesus says, if you don't repent, I will wage a war with the sword of my mouth, which is the word, and it is certain to fight the opposing lifestyle. And so we look at that, and we go, A or B? I want A, man. I don't want anything to do with B. Because when I say that I'm at, going to engage in a compromise, and I look for a way for the, to justify what I'm doing in the Word when I clearly know the Lord is showing me not to, and I look away around the Word, then the Lord is specifically saying to, to me that the Word will fight against me in those moments, and so I want to find where the word is calling me to obedience and step into that and constantly be in this place in my mind and in my heart of repentance, where I'm walking out in obedience what the Lord is calling me to do, and the word will constantly be working for me, or else it will be constantly working against me. John also writes in his gospel about this, and he says, and he starts in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the sword. He is the Word, the Logos, the flesh that dwelt among us. And so when I'm Compromising, I'm literally putting myself in a place where I'm fighting against Jesus. And that's ridiculous. It's insane. And so we look at this and we go, well, what do we need to understand here? Is that Satan's chief weapon is deception. He deceives people to compromise A for B. That's what's going on in your life all the time. Whether you choose the snake God or the true God. That's what he's saying to this city in Pergamum, and that's what he says to this city in Overland Park and to cities all over the world. In your life, you're either tru- choosing truth and following me or a lie and following the snake God. And so life is all about Jesus. And we need to understand there is a dark side. To the cross. The cross casts a shadow. Like the cross is the hope of the world. Right? We look at the cross, and all of our sins are washed away in the sacrifice that was made on the cross. But the cross casts a shadow. And when we're living a life of compromise, we're living on the dark side of the cross. And it's always better to move behind the cross, walk in obedience, and live on the bright side of the resurrection. Right? Like if you don't and you're disobedient to the Lord, the cross is just man the word is just judging. And so how do we walk in this freedom and this lightness? We just look to the word and say, "Man, I want to know what the word has to say to me. I don't want to be one who compromises." This is why, as a pastor, I'm always saying, "Man, you need to have a time where you're in the word and you're reading the word." Why do I want you to do that? Is it because that uh, I want you to be good Christians? And I can say, "Look, Jesus, how many people I got to read the Bible every day?" No, I want you to understand how the word can go to work in your life. And as you read it and you understand it, you're going to learn how to live on the bright side of the cross and get out. Out of this shadow, this dark side, walk in freedom, don't let the enemy deceive you. Life will roll out of you, the fruit of the spirit will start hitting people because it's coming out of you, and it's running into their lives and you will become a fountain springing up. Jesus, just like Jesus said you would. The, the fountain is in you, and the truth comes out, not because you're going to door to door and saying, "Hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus. It's because you're living a life that just speaks of Jesus because he's all over you. It's the way of Antipas. He would not compromise. And because he would not compromise, we don't know anything about him, but we're still talking about him. 2,000 years later, one thing we knew about him, he stood against all, he would not compromise, and they killed him for it. But he's famous. And just imagine what he is in heaven right now. Imagine how how, how pleasing he is to the Father. And so as we walk through life, we need to understand that life is all about Jesus. There's a dark side of the cross. And rejection means you'll spend your life in a war with the Word. And that is crazy. And so the big idea of today, today's message, is your life boils down to following Jesus or compromise every day. That's what it boils down to. So stand with Jesus, stay on the bright side of the cross, and let freedom roll. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where are you living this morning? Which side of the cross? It's easy to be on the bright side and and then start to try to make decisions where you move back over to the shadowed side. You got to stay out of there, and that's what the Lord is saying. Don't compromise, man. I I've got hidden manna for you, and the only way you can find it is to stay on this bright side of the cross. And it, again, we're not talking about a a life of perfection, but we are talking about a life of commitment and selling out to the Lord, and letting us show, letting Him show us where we need to step into obedience. And so just as the guys prepare and we sit in this moment of truth, let us think about where we are today. Am I on the bright side or the dark side of the cross? To sort of intentionally give you some time and silence to meet with the Lord. If you never have given your life to Him, you certainly are on the dark side of the cross. And the only way to move over is through a prayer of repentance over your sin confessing that you're a sinner to the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive you, cleanse you from your unrighteousness, and be Lord. And he will gladly do that and move you on the bright side. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for stories of our forefathers like Antipas. I thank you even for stories of Balaam, Lord, that helped me to see the consequences of the different choices that I make. I know, Lord, that I and the people that you have called me to shepherd face a wicked enemy who is constantly enticing us to compromise. Lord, would you help us in our weakness? Would you build our faith? Would you let your Holy Spirit fall on the people who call OPCC home in such an incredible way that, Lord, we are walking in power and authority and walking in freedom and people are finding you through us not because we are good but because we know you intimately and you don't just know where we live <laughs> we know where you live and so help us to be that kind of church Lord that kind of church for this community that speaks truth The truth of the word, and we walk in that power and authority and that freedom. Let it roll. Let it fall on your people today. Boys and girls, men and women, students, Lord, in schools in this community. Let the truth fall on them. Let them seize a hold of it. Let our children catch a glimpse of you, Lord, that they go out into life preparing to use their giftedness for the kingdom first and then all the benefits that come with that second. Lord, let a revival fall on this, place, Like a revival, not where we're the cool church that people want to come to, but we're with the church that is rooted in the word and your Holy Spirit is moving and is spreading across this land and it's shifting the culture that is lost today. Let it fall. Let it, let it fall on us, Lord. Use us that way. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we desire it and we pray for it and we ask for it because we know that without you, it's not going to happen. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use us in that capacity. We know you have a plan, Lord, And we pray that you would help us not compromise, but choose the way of Antipas. Be faithful and stand with you against all. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.